Good morning, community of faith. How are we doing this morning? If you're joining us online, welcome. Laura and my dream for you today, our prayer for you today is that you will have an Jose Altuve moment in your marriage. All right? I mean, it might be the ninth inning. They've counted you out, right? Not going to happen. Not going to do it. Even your biggest fans are going like, wah, wah. You're going to hit it out of the park. All right. God's going to do this for us. We're going to talk today about some things. I think it's going to blow your mind because it's probably some things that you haven't heard in any marriage conference or any series before. So we're going to jump into that. You know, life is a series of ups and downs, right? You have good days and bad days. You have challenges. You have triumphs. The same is true in our relationships. That's just the way that it is. And if you're struggling today in your relationship, I want to encourage you that you are so normal. And if you're not struggling right now in your relationship, I want you to know that one day you're going to be struggling. It's normal. That's a part of life for you and for me. But Mark and I hope today to give you some hope that things can change. They can be better. Mark and I were talking to some friends recently about marriage, and it was interesting because the husband said, you know, I just... I want to live my life. I just want to put the past behind me. I don't want to relive all those hard times. I don't want to rehash the trauma that I've been through. I'm just, I want to put it all behind me and move forward. And I thought that's a really great uh, sentiment. That's a great idea. And, and I actually kind of applaud him for that idea of wanting to move forward in his life. But the problem is, that we all have stuff, right, that's happened in our life. And unless we recognize that and deal with it, no matter how much we wanna move forward in our life, those things are gonna impact our life right now. And so that's why it's critical that we learn to deal with those things. Marriage is the most challenging relationship that you're ever gonna have. Now to think otherwise is to live in denial. What happens is being together like that, it kind of becomes a little bit of a pressure cooker and it brings up those old destructive patterns. They come to the surface. Laura and I spent many years in our marriage trying to change these destructive patterns. I mean, we would analyze them, we would list them, we would, we, we, we would you know, Fine. What we were really doing was just addressing surface issues because every time we had an argument or we had a fight, we'd sit down and try to figure out, you know, what went wrong, but we could never really figure it out. And then we had a huge breakthrough, a huge breakthrough, a huge change took place when we discovered the unseen forces that determined how we loved. And we're going to see that the Bible speaks to that. We learned that our lessons in love didn't start in marriage. They started in infancy. And they continued all those years that we lived with our parents. Our experiences growing up good and bad left a lasting imprint on our souls that determined our beliefs, our expectations about love, how to give love, how to receive love. Finally, I knew why 
I was always pursuing Laura and she was always distancing. I, I finally understood why I was always gauging the temperature of our relationship and trying to connect with Laura. And that connection was so difficult for Laura. In fact, she was oblivious to it in the early days. I remember saying to a counselor, our, one of our first counselors, we've had a lot of counselors. I, I never felt this frustrated by anybody before. So it, it must be Laura. She's the only one that makes me feel this way. She's the issue. She's the problem. If I didn't have Laura, I would have a great marriage. But really, your marriage problems didn't begin in your marriage. You and your spouse are living out the patterns that you learned in childhood. For each of you, a pattern of relating was set in motion before you ever met, causing you to relate to each other in certain ways. And until we understand the powerful influence of our early years in predetermining our patterns, we aren't able to understand our reactions and we're not able to make changes. We just keep repeating the same old, same old. You find yourself there? See, I'd been raised in an amazing Christian home that had many, many positive qualities. But my mom was the adult child of an alcoholic. And for her, love also involved being overprotected, um, controlled. My dad's dad committed suicide when he was 13 and he didn't really uh, get to have a dad for much of his life. Don't get me wrong. They were great parents in so many ways, doing the very best that they could. But I was learning how to get love, receive love, give love from two broken people. And we're all broken. In fact, when a new parent asked me, do you have any advice for me? I said, start the college fund and the therapy fund for the kiddos, you know, because they're going to need it to get past you probably. When Laura and I understood how I learned to feel and, and show love, she began to understand why her tendency to distance made me feel so rejected and so anxious. Laura was able to become more patient and loving when my anxiety triggered and I understood myself better. And then as I listened to Laura's memories, I began to understand why she seemed so detached and distant at times. I felt less rejected, less anxious when this happened. Once I understood that this was a, a response that she had learned as a child, much of the irritation that we had toward each other simply began to dissipate. In fact, I would say that compassion took its place. You see, if your parents held you, listened to you, helped you express what was going on deep inside of you, gave you words to describe what you were feeling, accepted those feelings and resolved problems and conflicts well, you have a healthy way to relate. But who got that? If your parents provided you with opportunities to express your emotions and then they validated them, they equipped you with both 
an awareness of an ability to communicate those deep feelings to another person effectively, even in the face of conflict. But for the first half of our married life, Laura and I didn't know how to do this. And this is the issue for 99% of you who are struggling this morning. We're going to give you a lot of information today, so I want you guys to listen uh, carefully, Um, and next week we'll talk more about what to do with that information, but we need you to have this foundation. You know, we as human beings have two types of memory, and this is important, and you'll figure out why in just a minute, but one of those types of memory is called explicit memory. This is what we generally think about when we think about having a memory. If I asked you to tell me a story of your childhood, you could uh, give me the, the details of that event. You could give me the sequence of events that you could relate the emotions surrounding that event, how you felt. This is what we call memorying. I'm remembering. That's an explicit memory. You, you would know if I asked you to, you know, tell me about a sad event in your childhood. You could explain it to me. You would understand that there were feelings attached to it and that you felt that in the past. But we also have another type of memory, and it's called implicit memories. They're stored in the right side of your brain, and they have no words attached to them. These are memories that developed in your infancy before you had words, before you could speak. And as a baby... You know, you're experiencing your environment. You're experiencing your parents, their tone of voice, their reactions to you, their their facial expressions and bodily sensations, and you're um, connecting memories with all of those things. And when you're doing that as an infant, you're learning how to respond in relationship with your parent or with your caregiver. And these feelings and sensations, whether good or bad, are called implicit memories. Mark and I like to think of them as feelings memories because they're really just feelings. There's no words attached to them. They're formed in your earliest childhood. And by your first birthday, these memories And the patterns that are developed with them, the patterns of reaction and behavior are so deeply encoded in your brain that they impact the rest of your life. Now, you may not know that, that something from your earliest infancy could impact the rest of your life. This is important because as adults, whether we want it to or not, these implicit memories, the feeling memories, impact our lives and they're activated in our current relationships, most often with your spouse. It can happen with a boss. It can happen with a parent. You may be 50 years old and still reacting in these ways with your parents. The problem when these these memories, these implicit memories are touched on in our relationship today is that the whole flood of feeling comes back that you felt as a baby. And you have no idea that it's not related to the current situation. These memories come flooding in, and you think it has to do with the discussion you're having with your spouse right now. You have no idea that your emotions have been hijacked and taken back to earlier years. This is called an emotional trigger. When Mark and I learned to recognize that our feelings had been triggered, it was a huge impact on our relationship. Once we recognized it, and once you learn to recognize it, then you're able to identify the emotions that are going on, to process that emotion, and to grow deeper in intimacy with one another. That's what Mark was talking about, that we've learned to grow deeper together. But when you don't recognize the triggers, 
and you don't identify them and you don't deal with them, they continue to impact your relationship today and will continue until you do that. As human beings, we were designed and created by God to live in attachment with one another, first with your parents and then later with your spouse. Genesis 2.24 says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. It's talking about attachment. We were designed and created for attachment, but when those attachments fail to be made in a healthy way, we end up wounded and we develop attachment fears and emotional triggers. Triggers develop from those implicit memories, those earliest months of our lives. So in a nutshell, that was a lot of words, but in a nutshell, we were created to be to attach. That's how God made us. If your parents, for whatever, whatever reason, couldn't or wouldn't attach in a healthy way to you, you have implicit memory of that happening or not happening, and you have the emotion attached to that, what you felt like as you were trying to attach to a parent and they couldn't give you the loving attachment you needed. Those patterns of trying to seek attachment develop in your life, and when that gets triggered, it impacts your relationship today. We all have triggers, and the important thing, like I said, is that we recognize them and we learn to deal with them. There are a couple of pretty clear signs of when you've been triggered. Maybe you've already learned to recognize this, but I'll give you a couple of clues to when your implicit memories, those emotions of childhood, have been triggered. The first clue is just when you experience an emotional reaction that's just way out of proportion to whatever is actually happening in the moment. You can know 100% that that implicit memory, those childhood feelings, have been triggered in your life in that moment. I mean, that happens to all of us at different times, right? The second clue is if you experience a sudden radical shift of the emotional tone of a conversation you're having. Maybe you're talking to your spouse, you, you've been just joking um, together, and then suddenly one or the other of you is completely upset or enraged, or, or maybe the opposite, that they're totally um, iced over or cool or, or aloof t- toward you. The game's changed and you don't really know what happened. In that moment, one of you has been triggered back to those implicit childhood memories. So those are two really good ways to recognize it. One friend described it this way. He said, we were driving in a car together. Um, we were talking, having a nice, comfortable chat, I thought, and suddenly it was as if there was ice on the inside of the car. And she's looking. I might have been that friend. <laughs> She's looking outside the window, her lines, her mouth's in a tight line, and it's as if she really wishes he wasn't there with her in the car. You guys have experienced those things before, right? That's a triggered emotional memory. And when you get triggered, you may, may actually feel your face flush, your heart may start to race, you may uh, begin to sweat. Maybe you suddenly feel anxious and you don't really know why you're feeling anxious. A friend told me he gets a lump in his throat when he's triggered, and that's how he recognized that he has a triggered emotional memory. And the thing is, when you're triggered, it happens really, really fast. That powerful, that powerful feeling, it's an emotional flashback. There's not, it doesn't feel like a memory. It feels like emotion in the moment. And like Laura said, that whatever's going on in the moment is kind of hijacked by that. So maybe you're arguing about who didn't pick up the kids when they were supposed to or whatever. Suddenly it escalates into something 
so much bigger. Scientists tell us that this registering of hurt takes less than two one hundredths of a second. That's faster than Jordan Alvarez swings his bat, okay? And when that happens, everything changes. It's the time scientists estimate it takes to register the emotion on another's face. When a trigger is hit, we're responding to a childhood fear about the level of safety in the relationship. We suddenly fear emotional disconnection. We were made to be connected. And when we fear that, our body responds with alarm and sorts through all the negative possibilities. See, the problem is this response is based on our early childhood, not necessarily on the present conflict or even the state of our relationship. And when this happens, we do one of two things, fight or flight. Now, that's the way that God made us. He made us that way. Fight or flight protects us. When we're in the woods and the big bear starts coming toward us, we're either going to go into fight mode, fight the bear, or flight mode and run from the bear. I'm definitely going into the run from the bear mode, okay? But some of you would go right into the fight, fight the bear mode. This happens with our partner too. A harsh word, snarky glare, roll of the eyes comes our way. And instinctively, we trigger, we're afraid. The relationship is at stake. And so we go into fight or flight. We either go into fight mode by protesting or attacking our partner or trying to prove that we're right. Some of you are so right and so alone right now, right? Or we go into flight mode by withdrawing away from our partner, growing silent or cold. And here's what you need to know. The way we respond, whether we fight or flee, is based on what worked in childhood. This fight or flight response causes us to disconnect emotionally, and we get trapped in a vicious cycle, no longer feeling emotionally safe with each other. Whether we're accusing or nagging or stonewalling or going silent, what we're really asking, and this is really important, underneath all the fuss, we're asking this, are you there for me? Do I matter to you? Am I valued and accepted by you? Those powerful emotions that come up, they make total sense. We act like we're fighting for our very lives because we're doing just that. This need for emotional connection was wired in by God at creation. Genesis 2, 18, he'd been saying, he did this and it was good. He did this, it was very good. It was very good. And then suddenly say, it's not good. What was that? It is not good for man to be alone. God created us to be emotionally connected to each other and our body and emotions know it. But see, our past history with those very first attempts that we had at trying to be loved shapes our present relationships in moments of disconnection when we can't safely engage with those we most love, without conscious thought, we turn to the way of coping that we learned as a child, the way of coping that allowed us to hold on to our primary 
caregiver, at least in some minimal way. And these default coping mechanisms happen so fast, we have no sense of choosing them. Finally, I understood 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter. You know, Paul's talking in that, and, and, and he, says, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't seek its own way. And I, I'm like, yeah, that's all about love. And then suddenly, right in the middle of it, in verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Today, it's time for you to put away those childish things. So let's look at the different ways that we learn to attach as children to our caregivers. And I want you to see if you see yourself in one of these particular attachment styles. The Pay really close attention because you're going to see yourself. The first one is the secure attachment style. Children develop a secure attachment when they have parents who are available for them, parents who provide kind of that secure base where they can venture out into the world and explore. They can be independent but have a place to come back to. That parent who is consistently available, the parent who is, provides emotional comfort for them or taught them as well emotional vocabulary words so they can express emotion and have those types of interactions. People with secure attachment style have a positive view of themselves and a positive view of other people. They're comfortable with emotional intimacy. Is that anybody in the room? I don't know. Um, they trust their partners. They're able to, to give and receive love and support and comfort um, in a healthy way. They communicate effectively. They communicate openly. They handle conflicts constructively. And they maintain stable, satisfying relationships. Now, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but for most of us, probably 99% of us, we have one of these other attachment styles. The secure attachment is the goal. If you've got secure attachment, you probably have a great marriage already. Exactly. Now, before you say, I knew there was something wrong with you, <laughs> when you listen to these other attachment styles, I want you to listen for yourself. Where do you see yourself? What is it that you learned as a child? Because the goal is that you understand yourself and begin to make the changes that you need to make. The second attachment style is called the anxious attachment style. This style tends to develop in children who had one or both parents who were inconsistently available or who were unpredictable. And this child uh, feels in that relationship that it's kind of confusing, that it's unstable, and they develop an anxious attachment. They, they feel worried about how to hold on to that important relationship with their parent or with their caregiver. Many of these adults grow up, grow up uh, in an enmeshed type relationship with that unpredictable parent, and that parent most often is caught up in their own emotional issues. They don't have the wherewithal to provide that safe base, that safe haven for the child. The anxiously attached adult has a constant need for reassurance. And I know some of you are automatically thinking, that's my spouse, I don't want you to go there. Think about yourself, okay? 
but they, they need to be reassured to feel secure in the relationship. They have a deep-seated fear of being abandoned or rejected by their partner, which leads to a lot of insecurity and jealousy. Maybe you've experienced that. They tend to overthink and obsess about the relationship, often reading into things um, that aren't really there. They have difficulty trusting. Um, they tend to have kind of an emotional roller coaster. Their moods change dramatically and quickly. Um, suddenly, they may become, <clears throat> excuse me, overly dependent on the relationship to the point that they feel clingy. They, they look to the relationship to find their self-worth, to find their self-esteem. They may have a strong fear of actually being alone or being single. They struggle with insecurity and self-worth, and they have trouble setting healthy boundaries. The anxiously attached adult may ask questions like, do you really love me? Or are you sure you want to be with me? That fear of abandonment is a central theme. And things that often trigger an anxiously attached adult are rejection, criticism, unresponsiveness on the part of the spouse, time apart, or perceived distance. Now, if that describes you, I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me, or start feeling bad about yourself, okay? It describes many, many of us in this room, and it's a, a normal development based on the experiences you had as an infant. So don't get down on yourself. Just recognize yourself, because then we can work on it. So that's the anxious attachment style. The next one is dismissive avoidant attachment style. People with Dismissive avoidant attachment style or self-reliant. They tend to downplay the importance of emotional intimacy. They may be emotionally distant, avoid discussing their feelings because they don't know what their feelings are. They may uh, appear emotionally detached from their partners and they may have difficulty with vulnerability. This attachment style places great value on appearing self-reliant. There may be a tendency to describe one's parents in either overly idealized or overly devalued terms. Emotionally detached individuals with this style tend to keep their emotions at a distance. They may appear emotionally reserved or distant in their relationships. They're highly self-reliant. They prefer to handle their emotions independently. I'm a rock, I'm an island. That could be their theme, you know? Or like Laura's theme song as a teenager, I'm cold as ice, right? And I can do that and I can turn those feelings off in a moment. They have this ability to disconnect from their emotions and shut down emotionally, which freaks out the anxiously attached me, okay? And Laura's this other one, and so, you know, I used to hate going to marriage conferences because they would say, well, men are like this and women are like this. And I was always like the woman. And Laura was always like the man, you know? And I was going like, we're backwards. No wonder we have so many problems, you know? Even in heated or emotional situations, they're able to turn off their feelings and not react. For example, if their partner's distressed and threatens to leave them, they might even respond with the shrug of the shoulders or whatever, you know, maybe just silence. Their triggers, intimacy, vulnerability, conflict, 
and disagreement. Why is it always, why is it always something? You know, it's always something with that girl, right? Perceived clinginess. Not that I was clingy. Threats to their autonomy. A lot of times this attachment style thinks she's trying to control me. What she's trying to do is connect, to know about your day, to know what's going on. Desperately trying to connect. Why do you have to know everything about everything, right? So that is that attachment style. And then the last attachment style is disorganized attachment style. Disorganized or fearful avoidant. This attachment style is a combination of anxious and avoidant tendencies. And individuals with this fearful avoidant or disorganized style, they want emotional closeness, but they fear it at the same time. They usually have a history of inconsistent, really, I mean, really inconsistent caregiving. Whether it's it's just this huge emotional distance, like a vacuum, or, or, it's, or it's abuse or something that happened in their childhood. They, they have trouble with trust. They're likely to have experienced significant parental hostility, maybe even sexual abuse. Sometimes they act out in self-injurious behavior, and they, they want to approach others, but they're terrified at the prospect of genuine relationships. Why? Because they've learned that relationships can be dangerous, even terrifying. And people who've been traumatized and have experienced little to no recovery from it vacillate between attachment and hostility. So they have this push-pull kind of thing. They'll pull you in, and then when you think, okay, here, okay, now I've got it, they'll push you out, okay? So it's really, really confusing. And they've probably internalized some hurtful statements made by primary caregivers and believe them to be true. Imagine the impact of a parent saying to a young child, what is wrong with you? See, these statements can have a lasting negative impact. So there's inconsistent behavior. There's fear and avoidance. There's difficulty with trust. There's frequent conflict There's difficulty maintaining stable relationships. In fact, a lot of times they get into very unstable relationships. The triggers, closeness and intimacy, past trauma or abuse, conflict, tension, threats to their independence, and a loss of control. They're desperately trying to control. Sometimes just emotional intensity, any kind of emotional intensity. Like you're watching the Astros and all of a sudden you stand up and you say, ah, and triggers, okay? Because emotion in their family wasn't safe. And so it's important to realize these are the four attachment styles. If you didn't recognize yours, you can go home and ask your spouse because they know which one you are, okay? Our style of attachment affects everything from our partner selection to how well our relationships do to sadly how they end. But here's the point of all this. It's the pattern that's the issue. It's not your spouse. It's not you or your partner. 
It's that conflict pattern that's, that's not working. We can allow God to heal any old wounds and to, we can learn new ways of relating. Next week, we're going to dig into depth about how these different ones react. We'll spend a lot of time on the anxious trying to attach to the avoidant, vice versa, because that's one of the most common. I would say a vast majority of you that are struggling, that's where you're going to find yourself. Everyone knows that relationships take work, but we don't know what that entails. See, the, the real work of relationship isn't occasional. It's not even daily. It's minute by minute. In this triggered moment right now, do I recognize that I'm triggered? Do I know that? What path am I going to take? Rather than being overridden by your past history, you can stop, pause, and choose. What's so amazing, working with people as a pastor and as a life coach, I've seen this truth lead to profound change. What we're going to see next week is going to be so powerful for so many of you. It leads to brand new traits, behavior, but it doesn't take years. Sometimes it happens in minutes. In only minutes, everything can change. When you and your loved one really, really connect, you won't believe the difference. You won't believe what it does in your life. Many of us in this room, many of you, have never felt that with anyone, ever. And God designed marriage to heal those old wounds. That's why Paul talks about love and says, it looks like this, it looks like this, it looks like this. But I know we've got a lot of stuff from childhood. It's time to move past that. It's time to have a grown-up marriage. That's what God wants for you more than anything. And next week, we're going to talk about that, the steps to connect and heal. And it's going to be life-changing. But this week, we always have the one thing for you. There's one thing I need you to do. Laura's going to tell you about it. I hope what you've heard today is, is hope that things can be better, things can change, that both of you can learn and grow. You know, last week we gave you one thing to do the, uh, during the week, and we're gonna do that every week during this series. We asked you last week to read your Bible every day, to spend time alone with God every day. Now don't raise your hands, but did you do it? Did you do it? Because I promise you it will change everything in your life. So if you didn't start last week, I want you to go ahead and put that on the calendar and start doing that this week. My dad used to say, and this is one of the things I remember the most, the best thing he gave me almost, what we believe, we practice. Everything else is just religious talk. So if you believe that God matters and it's important uh, to have him in your life, then you need to spend time with him every day. So the one thing we're gonna ask you to do this week is we want you to take some time to identify your personal attachment style. Ask God to show you what it is. Maybe you need to go back and listen to the message again and, and, and identify your personal notes. style. You can, you can look online and get the notes. And ask him to show you what your triggers are. 
You know, they're different for everybody. Like Mark said, maybe it's loud noises, maybe it's intense emotions, maybe it's someone turns their back on you or particular words or feeling disrespected. It could be thousands of different things. Ask God to show you, what is my attachment style? What are the triggers that I suffer from? And then next week, we're going to come together and we're going to find ways to bring healing to those things in our lives. Here's the amazing thing. And this is why being a Christian and learning from the scripture as well as the latest neuroscience is so much better than just going to therapy. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I want you just to close your eyes right now for just a moment. And if you're a believer here this morning, I want you to say, Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. Will you just tap me on the shoulder when I get triggered this week? Will you show me that? Will you help me with that? Will you let me see that? Will you help me discover that attachment style that I have so that I can learn how next Sunday to make some changes and begin to relate, to begin to connect. And this week, when you get in that fight, I want you to remember what your spouse is really saying. Say, I know what they're saying. They're cussing and swearing at me. No, are you there for me? Do I matter to you? Is this relationship important? Because we desperately, all of us, long for that. Connect to the Lord this week, like Laura said, and then watch what begins to happen also in your relationship as you begin to discover this. And what you're going to find is that you're fighting, you're fighting, fighting. It's always the same triggers. Different fight, same trigger. Father, we need you. We need you in our marriages. We need you to show us this. And we really need you to give us the power, the power to do it. We totally forget how much we love each other in these triggered moments. We totally lose all thought of that and it just becomes this battle for survival. And God, what you want is for us to connect. We don't have to agree, but you long for us to connect with each other. We talk all the time about be one as I am one. Have unity together. God, that's what I ask for these marriages. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us. Let nothing stop what you want to do in our marriages this week. Give us this huge recognition of where we are and what our triggers are so that we can make that huge breakthrough next week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.